Welcome to the Indisposable Podcast, produced by Upstream. I'm your host, Brooking Gatewood. Thanks for joining for another episode celebrating solutions to plastic pollution. Hi, everyone. I'm so happy to join you today on the Indisposable Podcast. I'm your guest host, Upstream's Reuse Communities Policy and Engagement Officer, Macy Zander. And I'm here to welcome back a good friend of Upstream and the reuse movement, John Charles Meyer, Executive Director of Plastic Free Restaurants. For those who might be unfamiliar, Plastic Free Restaurants is a nonprofit organization that runs a subsidy program available to any U.S.-based food service establishment that currently serves its customers or students on single-use petroleum-based plastic foodware, is willing and ready to make the switch to reusables, and is not already required by law to discontinue using single-use plastic. That is certainly a worthy cause if we have ever heard one. When we first chatted with John Charles, things were just getting going after the COVID lockdowns, and momentum around reuse and reuse policy has really taken off since then. We wanted to reconnect with him to see what lessons he's learned in working with schools and restaurants, what trends he's seeing, and how we can all work together to move reuse forward. So welcome back to the show, John Charles. We're glad to have you back on. Thanks. Thank you you very much. I'm happy to be here. Great. So to kick off the conversation, I would love to just start with a quick overview of where Plastic Free Restaurants is today. Last time we had spoke on the podcast, you had helped about 60 locations transition to reuse, removing 6 million pieces of plastic from the waste stream. Where are you at in terms of your impact now? We have now done 103 locations in 10 states. Um, That includes 66 restaurants, 34 schools, one zoo, (laughs) one... um, soup kitchen and one meals on wheels kitchen. Uh, and again, in 10 States. So, and we've got conversations going with maybe another 25 or 30 schools, um, in about seven or eight different districts around the country where we anticipate we'll be working with them again pretty soon, but we're not quite there yet. That is really impressive. And I have to just ask, which zoo is it? (laughs) It's the, it's the cafe at the Topeka, Kansas zoo. That's great. We love that. That's wonderful. So it seems like there's been a lot of expansion in the past year or so. Not quite as much as we'd like. I mean, 60 to 100 is a nice jump, but I think we would have liked to have been at 150, 200 at this point. Um, Like I said, we've got a lot of conversations going with schools and in some cases, entire districts. And also a couple of the figures that I just threw at you were School districts included school districts where we've done, for example, two schools in Ithaca, New York, and there are 10 more lined up to adopt reusables over the coming six months. So that includes the two, not the remaining eight. There's definitely a lot more on the horizon. We're, we're making good strides, uh, but you always want to be doing better than you are, right? Right, right. Of course. Still impressive to see that you have such a strong pipeline coming down the road. And That actually is a great segue because I know that in the last podcast, you had sounded like schools were feeling like the place that you thought would be the best to spend your energy. How has that played out? And it does seem like, as you just laid out, that you're working with a lot of schools these days. Are there any particular stories from the field that you would like to share with our listeners? 
I may very well have said this a year ago. I don't remember off the top of my head, but uh, if I were to know three years ago what I know now, I would have called this plastic-free schools, and that would have been our sole focus. They are better targets. They are more uh, closed circles. There's no takeout and delivery to to contend with, uh, and they're much more impressionable audiences. A seven-year-old is going to change his or her uh, dining habits much faster and much more easily, malleably, than uh, a downtown commuter buying lunch. Um, but we're plastic-free restaurants. We're going to continue to do restaurants. We love doing restaurants. Uh, it's just that schools are a fantastic target and and have been a really good win for us so far. Um, maybe the biggest win with schools in the last six months has been the extent to which they're finding us. Word of mouth is definitely getting around. We're making our best efforts at outreach, whether that's through media and press or through talks I've given to some interest groups, you know, school nutrition director groups and and government agencies and nonprofits and stuff like that. But uh, to a large degree, a lot of the schools that we've done in the last six months have found us. Uh, We have now a subsidy intake portal on our website where someone can reach out to us directly and give us 95% of the information that we're going to need from them in order to actually be able to give them a subsidy. And that portal is starting to work. And that's been great. Uh, A few examples of stuff that we've done recently, we've done stainless steel trays at Fremont and Alameda, California schools, Uh, the same trays in Carson City, Nevada, Sporks at two schools in Ithaca, New York, which I think I mentioned earlier, and we've got eight more schools, eight or 10 more schools in that district lined up to to roll those out in the next six months. Uh, Stainless steel cups in Brooklyn, New York at PS15. Um, We did our first Meals on Wheels in Prairie du Chien, Wisconsin. Uh, unfortunately the rare occasion when we're subsidizing reusable plastic because meals on wheels, volunteers can't handle that weight of stainless steel, unfortunately. Uh, and we offer a much lesser subsidy in those circumstances. We don't offer nearly as generous a subsidy for reusable things that are not stainless steel, but it was nice nonetheless to get our first meals on wheels on the books. Uh, we did a, a soup kitchen in newark new jersey which has not actually rolled out yet they're going to do that in early 2024 but all the stuff has been purchased all the invoices have been vetted everything's ready to go they're just moving into a new space at the beginning of the year so they didn't want to bother with the reusables until they got to that and we've done another 15 restaurants this year most of them through rethink disposable our partner nonprofit. yeah i want to also go back to as well conversations that we've had with you and a few of the networks that Upstream host, but also on the last podcast, you had shared a couple of lessons that you had learned regarding businesses and how they can be daunted by switching to reuse because of the initial financial hurdle and the idea of having to impose change into a system they were already accustomed to running in a certain way. Do you feel like there's been any updates to that mindset? I wouldn't say that there have been updates to that mindset from the standpoint of the restaurants themselves. We're starting to find a few more tools to convince them among them. uh, And this is fantastic news uh, money that was set aside in the California state budget to specifically earmark $15 million uh, explicitly for the purchase installation and retrofitting of dishwashers for public schools grants of up to $40,000 per public school. This just passed the California legislature a couple months ago and was actually championed by two uh, parents, mothers in my hometown, Glendale, California, where I live now. 
more or less without our input. We were not, we were only peripherally involved in what they were doing. They, they deserve all the credit for it, but they got it through the legislature and it's been signed. So that's $15 million available to California schools to put in dishwashers. And that is the single biggest hurdle for schools that don't already have that infrastructure or that don't have, you know, an infrastructure that keeps pace with the, the number of students that they, they serve. We're also starting to find some ways to price out options that allow for easier transitions for businesses. We made a huge pitch in concert with Ahimsa, a stainless steel manufacturer that we work with that's based in Indiana. Uh, we made a pitch to a major sports arena, major league sports arena. I'm not going to say which one, but um, we figured out a way to demonstrate to them that they could not only break even within 10 months on what was probably going to be a $1 million capital expenditure on dishwashers and dishwashing infrastructure in their 23 cafes, but uh, that they would actually be making money after those 10 months. They would be, it would be a revenue source. And the way we did that was to say, okay, prices at these places are relatively elevated already add $1.25 to the price of every single beverage you serve, all of which will be served in stainless steel, and hire 10 staff members at little kiosks dotted around the, the arena who are literally handing out $1 bills for every single cup that gets returned. The few cups that don't get returned, and there won't be many, so there won't be nearly the same kind of cleanup that the staff has to deal with after a game, or a concert, but the cups that don't get returned, you're pocketing a buck 25 on. The ones that do get returned, you're pocketing 25 cents on, which covers the cost of the kiosks and the additional staff and the additional labor of, you know, carting them around. Uh, and again, showing them that they had to install 23 dishwashers in 23 cafes that was going to cost close to a million dollars, they nonetheless would make that money back in 10 months. So, there are some clever pricing and return incentive programs that we're trying to roll out and, and, and put out there that, that make things make this an easier choice for some organizations. That's huge. I think once that project has rolled out, I can imagine a lot of our listeners and a lot of folks just in the reuse circular economy movement probably being very eager to hear more about that and figuring out ways that we can replicate that in other places around the country. That's sure. yeah, that's yeah. great. I, I would love to have that anchor one done so that we can start demonstrating it to others because once one of them does it, I think it'll be attractive and interesting, intriguing to a lot more of them. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Yeah. I'm impressed by just the amount of different businesses and the variety of businesses that you all are working with now. I think that's really exciting. And in terms of other updates to plastic-free restaurants, um, we've heard that you all recently became environmental partners of the 1% for the Planet initiative. Can you tell our yeah. listeners a little bit more about that and what exactly that means? We're very excited about this. 1% One for the Planet has been around for 15 or 20 years, was co-founded by the uh, owner or founder of Patagonia. Um, and it's an amazing organization that has gotten businesses around the world, I believe something like 6,000 businesses ranging from massive multinational corporations all the way down to, you know, barber shops and mom and pop restaurants that have promised to donate a minimum of 1% of their annual profits to 
environmental charities, and it is an, appro- an approved list of environmental charities that 1% of the planet vets and maintains, they get really aggressive with their follow-up with these businesses. They force them to verify that they have actually donated actually more than 1% of their profits every year. They examine their books and in order to become a business member, you you have to agree to open up your finances and show them that you are indeed doing what you're promising to do. And if you don't follow through or don't send those books, then they kick you off the list. We just joined as environmental partners, which means we are one of the approved charities. And I'm happy to report that in just the two months that we've been on the list, we've already landed our first two corporate sponsors from that list. One of which was a conversation we already had going before we became environmental partners, but the other of which came about entirely because we'd been added to the list. So that feels great. And I'm hoping that it will continue. That is wonderful news. Congratulations. Thanks. That's really great. Yeah. So obviously a lot of exciting things happening with plastic free restaurants. And I'm curious if we could just take a step back and reflect on the years that you all have been operating. What are some of the biggest lessons that you're thinking about as we quickly enter 2024? I would say there are there have definitely been 2023 20, lessons, uh, but the lessons we've learned since we opened our doors writ large are A, that giving away free money is harder than you would think, and B, that the cost of the reusables is not actually the number one hurdle. The number one hurdle is fear of change. The number two hurdle is lack of dishwashing infrastructure. And so we're working on ways to overcome those first two hurdles because our our mo is the money itself is the, the reducing that financial hurdle lessons from this year have basically revolved around how to streamline our own operations how to delegate authority and make better use of my board of directors who are all fantastic people who've gone on an amazing ride with me for the last three years but who i don't think i was using to their fullest potential until recently earlier this year we got six weeks of pro bono consulting work from the Boston Consulting Group, which was amazing. And they kind of sat me down and said, okay, you need to start asking other people (laughs) to do more of what you're doing. And here are some of the ways in which we think you could be doing that. And a lot of that fell on the board. And so we have much more active committees now than we had before, working working on fundraising, grants, PR and media, governance. Uh, They're meeting on a regular basis. They're coming up with fantastic ideas, which I'm now able to implement because they're doing a lot of the sort of research and grunt and idea work behind it. Um, and we've streamlined things also within our website and within our processes. Uh, I mentioned the subsidy intake portal that we recently adopted about six months ago. That's brand new. And that was, again, a, a recommendation of BCGs to remove things from email and put them into sort of a, put the onus a little bit more on the subsidy applicant in the, in the beginning and ask all of the questions that we need answers to upfront. So that it's not so much of a back and forth. Um, And then finally, a lesson from this year, as far as sealing the deal with subsidy recipients is making sure that all decision makers are on board. We've had a couple of instances where, you know, a principal at a school was unaware that the nutrition service director and the facilities director had signed up on something. And then suddenly we've purchased things that are going to take additional months to roll out because not all decision makers have been on board. And that was just a, a mistake we were making earlier on. And we've since corrected but yeah so you you live and learn live and learn yeah definitely another question that i have and asking this more with my 
local advocate hat on for the work that I'm doing with the Austin Reuse Coalition in here in Austin, Texas. But what would be your advice to advocates on the ground that are trying to engage schools in their area, businesses in their area, to look at plastic-free restaurants and to like make take the plunge and get involved with the program that you all have set up? We have a resources page on our website that lists a lot of different guides for how to go about this. Not all of them prepared by us. Some of them were prepared by uh, partner nonprofits of ours, Rethink Disposable, Center for Environmental Health, and a couple of others. We also have a couple of very basic one-page flyers, just sort of bare bones. This is what we do. We pay people to stop using plastic. Would your restaurant be interested in being paid to stop using plastic? So those can be downloaded from our website, and those are those are nice resources. I think the difference between failure and success in a lot of these recruitment efforts boils down to a squeaky wheel on the inside. If it's just you, the advocate, the volunteer, the the go-getter who's walking into a restaurant or walking into a school and saying, hey, you should do this because of environmental concerns and health concerns and trash and because it's the right thing to do, you may just get eyes glazed over and, and deaf ears. But if you walk into that restaurant or that school and you find one person, not even necessarily all that high up the food chain, food service direction directors, nutrition service directors at schools are an excellent place to start. And sometimes at a restaurant, it can be an employee. It can be a restaurant, a bartender or a, or a, a waiter who feels the same way. Uh, that squeaky wheel can make all the difference because they're just more likely to listen to their own people or their own employees or their own customers for that matter, uh, than they are a crusader. And that's sometimes tough to swallow because you want to get out there and change the world and get everybody to do the right thing and get rid of this terrible toxic plastic. But sometimes it, it turns into a Sisyphean task if you feel like you can do it without anybody on the inside. A squeaky wheel on the inside really is the best thing to have. So yeah. if you go to five restaurants and only one of them seems to have it, concentrate on that restaurant. Yeah. Oh, that's great. That's great. I know I'll certainly be keeping that piece of advice in mind for my own local advocacy. So can you tell our audience, has the source of your funding changed at all since we last spoke with you last year? Yes, actually it has. Um, we've gotten a lot better about grant applications and outreach to foundations, and that has borne some fruit. But perhaps more excitingly, we are honing our skills at reaching out to potential corporate supporters. And part and parcel of that has been developing a strategy of offering hyper-local impact. We ask these companies, you know, where is your U.S. headquarters or your world headquarters? I mean, we know the answer to this question, but we say, okay, where are you guys located? Great. Nashville, Tennessee, let's say. Can you give us a list of the five or 10 or 50 public schools that your employees' children attend? We'll tackle those schools. So then you can say X corporation based in Nashville just wiped out single-use plastic in the 23 schools attended by all of their employees' children. We're, this is still very much a, a work in progress with you know conversations we're having with some of these companies, but I expect that we'll get some wins out of it fairly soon. Um, so that's been pretty exciting. Wow. Yeah, that is really great. That's like a whole new source of potential schools and businesses to be working with. That's great. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it's giving them the opportunity to generate some great PR for themselves and, and align themselves in some manner with us without really having to exchange money with us. Truly, they're just paying for the schools. We're taking care of the legwork. We're taking care of what's being done, vetting the invoices and finding the, the correct reusables for them to, to purchase. But the money doesn't even need to go through, through us. The corporation doesn't need to give a check, send a check to plastic-free restaurants. They just pay for the stuff. And essentially, everybody wins. So again, we'll see, we'll see how this all turns out. But it's been a pretty exciting development. Yeah, I'll say that's a very exciting development. And yeah, before we wrap, John Charles, are there any additional messages that you'd like to share with our audience? I think the thing that surprised me at the get-go and that continues to surprise a lot of people about what we're doing is the extent to which small amounts of money make huge impacts. I mean, our organization is 100% volunteer and we don't pay any salaries or rent. And so we're able to put almost every dollar that we raise into the subsidy program, which is great. But beyond that, the extent to which small dollar amounts can make huge changes is kind of mind blowing. 28 bucks buys 28 stainless steel forks, high quality tested stainless steel forks. Those replace 5,040 plastic forks at a school cafeteria every school year. So 28 bucks wipes out 5,000 plastic forks. That's kind of mind blowing. $63 wipes out uh, 5,000 plastic cups. $135 flips a small takeout restaurant, small takeout counter or, or a restaurant with a small dining area. And $3,700 will take care of stainless steel forks, spoons, cups, and trays at a 400 lunch per day public school. Incredible. $3,700. Wow. That really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? What we've done so far, the 9 million pieces of plastic that we've eliminated in our first three years comes from roughly $80,000 of expense. It's, we're, not, we're, not, we're not a nonprofit spending millions and millions of dollars. We aspire to get to that point. We aspire to be flipping hundreds of schools a year instead of dozens. But uh, thus far, 80000 spent, 9 million pieces of plastic eliminated. It doesn't take a lot. Right. That's incredible. Well, John Charles, where can folks that are curious to learn more or interested in applying for subsidies, how can they contact you? Where, they, where can they find you all? Sure. Subsidy applicants can go to plasticfreerestaurants.org slash subsidy. Donors can go to plasticfreerestaurants.org slash donate. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, there are lots of other resources on our website, uh, for schools, for restaurants, for volunteers, for event planners, for consumers. So please check out those out as well. Great. And for, for subsidy applicants, I guess I should say, the only other thing to, to note is that the subsidy application is 95% of the work that you'll need to do. The only thing you have to prepare before you dive into our subsidy application is gathering three months of invoices for the single-use plastic that you currently use. You'll need to upload those as part of the survey. But once you've done that and answered the questions in the survey, you're 95% of the way there. That's great. So when we all end this conversation, we know where to go. Right. <laughs> what, our, what our homework is to do. Um, great. Well, John Charles, thank you so much for your time and just the leadership that you provide to the reuse movement through Plastic Free Restaurants. 
I know that we're huge fans of y'all's and very much appreciate the work y'all are doing. So thank you for um, hopping back on the podcast with us today. Thanks for having us again. And that's our show. If you like what you're hearing, help spread the word. Subscribe to the Indisposable Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Add a review, talk us up. Nobody spreads a message like you. The Indisposable Podcast is brought to you by Upstream, sparking innovative solutions to plastic pollution, envisioning a world without it, and empowering businesses, communities, and individuals to imagine and co-create this future with us. You can find resources mentioned on today's episode as well as learn more about Upstream's work at www.upstreamsolutions.org. Follow us on social and join the movement. There's a better way than throwaway.